Welcome to the Narrator's Podcast. I'm Robert Rutherford. And I'm Andrew Orvidal. This podcast collects stories that were told at the Narrator's, a monthly storytelling event that features people telling true stories based on a theme. The show takes place on the third Thursday of every month at the Deer Pile in Denver, Colorado. This episode of the Narrator's was recorded live on May 16th. The theme of the evening is fake. Your first storyteller... Uh, tonight she's done the show before. She's actually a professional speller, it turns out, which is pretty awesome. I was also really good at spelling before I got my ears fixed. Um, <laughs> please welcome Colleen Leggett. I always recover from breakups in the exact same way. I force myself to go through the five stages of grief backwards. So I start with acceptance. I tell myself everything's going to be fine, that there are plenty of fish in the sea, and then I remember that plenty of fish is the website that he's using to find my replacement. (laughs) So that leads to stage two, depression. The stage where I can only experience the world in negative space because all I see is what isn't there. And I drink too much when I'm alone, but I always feel alone, and so I drink too much all the time. Eventually, I get tired of wallowing, and I look for a quick fix with stage three, bargaining. I always try to skip that one to preserve my dignity. (laughs) But when I can't skip it, it sounds like, please, can we still be friends? And the answer to that question doesn't even matter. Because whether it's a yes or a no, it will lead me to stage four, anger. Anger is when I get really serious about playing guitar and I make awesome mixtapes. <laughs> also, every mention of his name lights this fire inside of me. And if I just hold on to the flame long enough, it burns away all the pain. And then I make it to stage five, denial, where I tell everyone that I was never invested and he never hurt me. In general, it's not a good idea to end an emotional journey pretending like it didn't happen, but denial used to come really easy to me because I was really good at shutting down. I was good at building walls around myself to protect me, only they didn't protect me. They just left me isolated. And eventually I found healing and I learned to love myself and I knew that someday I'd be ready to love someone else again, but I wasn't in a hurry. And then last fall, I walked out of the Bluebird drunk on tequila and rock and roll, and I saw him standing, leaning up against the light pole, smoking a cigarette. And the moment I noticed him, he smiled at me and said hello, asked if I wanted to grab a beer. And that beer turned into a weekend of adventures because we couldn't get enough of each other. Three weeks later, when he told me that he wasn't ready to get serious, I was kind of blindsided because as far as I could tell, we were already getting serious. And right away, I got scared. And I reverted back to my old instincts. I closed off. I pointed at the door and I asked him to leave. And he said, Colleen, can we please talk about this? And so even though I was afraid, I listened to what he had to say. He told me that he always rushes in too fast and that he knows it's not good for him and he's trying to change the pattern. And in that moment, I felt like we were the same somehow. Like maybe we were both facing old demons, trying to be better versions of ourselves. And it was like the beginning of a fairy tale where maybe we could each be heroes and no one would end up as a damsel in distress. So we kept seeing each other and we tried to slow it down, but we kept ending up in this suspended reality where all that mattered was each other. 
We had dance parties in his living room that lasted all night. We sang Beach Boys songs to each other that turned into makeout sessions when we nailed the harmony, and we always nailed the harmony. Sometimes he'd make these overblown, drunken, romantic declarations that always ended in promise, promises that I knew he wasn't ready to keep. And when he took back those promises, I would feel myself get scared again. And I wasn't sure if I was scared that one of us would run away or scared that we would both stick around. So I decided to face my fear of weakness with vulnerability. And that vulnerability made me strong. I opened up. I gave more of myself to him than I've ever given to anyone else. And the whole time, I didn't lose sight of the reality of the situation or try to pretend like my love could somehow change him. But I didn't think that this fake relationship would end in a real breakup until something changed. I felt a barrier between us, a wall that was old and familiar, but this time I knew I didn't erect it, and that left me no power to tear it down. When I asked what was wrong, he gave me some vague answers, didn't talk to me for a few days, and then sent me an email <laughs> that actually just get, left me with more questions than answers. Even the syntax had me confused about where we stood. I value your friendship, present tense. Thanks for all the fun we had, past tense. <laughs> and I panicked. I started with bargaining. I love you. You don't have to love me back, but please, can we still be friends? I saw him two days later because we had tickets to a show that we were really excited about, and I thought that maybe spending a little time with him would at least give me clarity. But I woke up the next morning still not sure if I should be giving him space or letting him go. And after three more days, that purgatory started to feel like hell, so I tried to get angry. I listened to my two favorite breakup albums back-to-back, -back. Fiona Apple, Win the Pawn, followed by Tori Amos, Boys for Pele. They had never let me down. <laughs> never. But this time, when the music ended, I didn't feel righteous. I felt empty. And so I tried to get out of the house, find a bar, make some new friends. And as I was getting dressed, I realized I was performing this elaborate, superstitious ritual, putting on the exact outfit that I had on the night I met him. As if somehow that sweater were a homing beacon that would bring him back to me. And it worked, because halfway through my first drink, I looked up, and he was walking towards me, waving and smiling in the same flannel shirt he had on the first time I saw him on the sidewalk. And he was almost right next to me before I saw the girl behind him. He introduced her as a friend, and I took him at his word, even though I knew he had a liberal definition of friendship. <laughs> and she said, you look sad. You shouldn't be alone on a Friday night. Why don't you come join us? And as I tried to explain that that was just not a great idea, he interrupted me and said, pull up a chair. It'll be all right. I thought he felt bad for hurting me. And even though he was hurting me, I didn't want him to feel bad. And so I thought maybe the right thing for both of us was for me to be strong one more time. I sat across from her so I wouldn't have to look at him, knowing that if our eyes met, all my courage would falter. And I asked her question after question, only focusing on her answers long enough to think of a follow-up so the conversation wouldn't die. And then he put his arm around her. And then her hand was on his thigh. And I knew that his invitation wasn't a friendly gesture. It was a one-hit kill. 
She got up to go to the bathroom, and I looked at him, and he said, what may be the last words I ever hear him speak? Was this a bad idea? That was two weeks ago. (laughs) And here I am with more than a few failed relationships under my belt, and I am devastated by a guy I knew for six months who was never really mine. A guy I first loved for his kindness and his empathy, who has either become so cruel he would hurt me on purpose, or so detached that he didn't realize he could. And now backwards grief doesn't work, because even though I'm pretty sure he's off denying that what we had was special, I can't do that because it changed me. And I'm not angry, even though I have a right to be. Even though the last time I saw him, he destroyed whatever we might have had left to bargain for. There is a moment in every day where I miss him so hard, it stops me in my tracks. But the sadness washes over me in waves that never drag me into a sea of depression. Because this time I was my best self. I was brave. And so this time I'm going to figure out how to let it all go with acceptance. That was Colleen Leggett. Final storyteller this evening. He's another favorite of the show. He runs a show here every Wednesday night called Too Much Fun with some of his uh, comedy buddies, and it's uh, the best weekly comedy show uh, in Denver, and he's also a great storyteller. Please welcome Chris Sharpentier. Hello, everybody. Uh, when I was... 15 years old, I was asked, or invited, I wasn't asked, that's weird, I was invited to go to, uh, on a cruise with my best friend and his family, which was his parents and his brother and his brother's girlfriend, and I agreed immediately. Uh, So I went on this cruise, we went to a few islands, and uh, the first night, uh, we were 15 years old, I was 15 years old. The first day that we got there on the, on the boat, uh, my friend's parents gave us, they bought us alcoholic beverages and then said, see you in a week. <laughs> so we knew what we were in for. It was going to be fun. And uh, the first night the, uh, the, on the cruise, the, they have the big uh, open deck where the big swimming pool is. Well, at a certain time that closes and they put a net over the pool. And so everybody that is on the deck goes and goes to the nightclub or whatever they, they do. But you can still hang out on the deck. And they have two bars that are up there, and they close, of course. And they put the little, you know, gates down over the alcohol and all of that stuff. And they, take, they screw the taps. They take the screw things off of the taps. But the taps still work, <laughs> you see. And they also leave a mountain of glasses right next to those taps. So we had free beer forever, <laughs> is what just happened. And, uh, and that was awesome. And they also, the gate that they put over the alcohol, there's no way that you can steal a bottle of beer through there. It's impossible. But you can definitely steal cartons of cigarettes. <laughs> so we did that. So we were smoking and drinking for free. We were living it up, everybody, in the middle of nowhere. And it was fantastic. It was fun. The first few days, that's all we did. Get drunk and have a great time. It was fun. But... To my core, I'm a stoner. I like weed. 
and this drinking is not going to do. All right? It's fun, but it's just not... It's no good. Uh, so, on one of the islands, I can't remember which, it's kind of fuzzy. <laughs> uh, I decided uh, to buy... I bought a pipe from some guy on the beach. It was a cool little wood, handmade pipe. And I was, he was like, you want the stuff to put in it? And I said, Yes. And he's like, okay, it's another 20 bucks. And I said, okay. And I gave him 20 bucks. And he went to hand it to me. And I like put out my hand and went to look. And he was like, no, 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 put it in your pocket right now. There's cops and stuff. And I was like, okay. So I did. But then I was like, god damn it. I just got fucked. And I know it. Even at 15, I knew that I was getting <laughs> fucked. So I went to the bathroom at the Burger King. Because I'm on an island and that sucks. But whatever. <laughs> I'm on the island in the Caribbean and I, Whatever. So I went in there to check, uh, and I looked, and it was terrible weed. It was brown, really disappointing, clump of stepped-on shit brickweed. I was like, damn it, whatever, it's better than nothing. So I snuck it back onto the boat with me. And my best friend didn't smoke weed, but his brother did. So I was like, hey, let's smoke a bowl. And he's like, all right. And he and I were both seasoned potheads, even at 15. And we started smoking weed, and we finished a half a bowl, and he was like, I'm done. I'm lit. And I was like, yeah, I'm probably pretty stoned too. So, we're, so it was great. Turns out this was really, really, really good, weird Caribbean weed. It was great. <laughs> and apparently, I was the only person on the boat that went out of their way and got some. Because word got round. All right? <laughs> I'm not kidding. I was popular the next day. People out of nowhere were just coming up to me and they're like, hey, dude. I heard you, like, had some weed. And I was like, what? Who is telling people this? And so, and then I started trading for whatever they had. I snorted Ritalin for the first time on that, on that cruise. Not that fun, turns out. Uh, but I did that. And then somewhere along the line, because uh, I had done this with a few other people, but somewhere along the line, I met this very tall, almost seven-foot-tall Eastern European man who's young, maybe in his 20s, very, very lanky, fun, very nice. And he's like, I hear you have weed. And I was like, yes, I do. And he's like, I'll give you, give you pill of ecstasy. You exchange me weed. I was like, oh, fuck yeah. <laughs> Sounds sweet. I've never done ecstasy, but I'm into it. Let's do it. Uh, and he's like, okay, I'll take you down to my room, meet shipmates, we'll party. I was like, okay. Whew. All right. This is... Okay, so we started, I followed him, I followed him, we started going, and then we, by happenstance, just ran into his shipmate before we even got down to the room. He was just some very short, fat guy with a very heavy New York accent. Very stubbly, very odd-shaped man, but very nice also. And he's like, oh, right on, you got the weed, huh? That's great. Let's go down to the room, we'll smoke some weed, get you some ecstasy. And I was like, okay, this is bizarre. And so we went down to the room where we met the third shipmate who was a very handsome Italian man. And, uh, and we started smoking weed, and the Italian man, out of nowhere, we're sitting there, and he's like, okay, it's time to buff up. <laughs> and, sat, and started doing push-ups in the middle of the room. And it was like, okay, there, he's buffing up. And I'm sitting here, and my friend who didn't smoke weed was still up, and it's, so now it's just me and these guys. And I'm like, this is... Very weird, but they were all very nice. 
but very weird. The, the weird Eastern European guy, the really tall guy, he's putting on suntan lotion the whole time. That guy's doing push-ups. The fat New York guy's just... He's like, oh, okay, this is such a weird... But we smoked weed and did ecstasy, and we went up to the, to the pool, uh, where immediately the Italian guy took off his shirt and pants. He was wearing a Speedo. He's like, I'm going to go hit the slide. <laughs> I was like, oh, all right. And he did hit the slide, and then we watched and laughed and laughed. He was, he was just, it was great. And we played hearts all day. They kept buying us champagne, me and my friend, because he didn't smoke weed, but he drank, and we just drank so much champagne with these guys and played hearts and tons and tons of ping pong. This seven-foot-tall guy was impossible to beat. That wingspan, you know what I mean? You can't, you'd think you got him, and nope. Anyway, he never moved. He was impossible. Anyway. So we were having a lot of fun with these guys, and I met up with them the next day, because again, I was the only person here who had weed, and this weed was potent, so I still had some, and it was wonderful, and I was sharing it with these guys, and this was the last day. I'd met them on the second to last day, so now we we're on the last day heading home back to Florida, or whatever. That's not home, but Florida. And uh, so I met up with these guys again on the, on the deck, and I was like, you guys want to smoke some weed? I have a little bit more, and they're like, yes. So we go down, and it's almost the exact same thing happens again. I'm going to bump up. And he gups down and he starts doing fucking push-ups again. And the other guy's slathering himself with suntan lotion. And it's very bizarre, but they're all very nice, but they're very, like, typical, like, in, in like, the most stereotypical, you know, the Eastern European guy, he was, like, dancing to techno the whole time. He was wearing a gold chain. Just, you having fun on the boat? And it's like, yeah, it's been fun. You know, you want champagne? It's like, okay. This is so weird. And I... Like, looking back on it, I'm sure that they were just having fun with a couple of 15-year-olds. You know what I mean? Because we were just getting wasted. We went to a dance club and had, you know, we were just being stupid. And I'm sure they were just having a good time with us. But it was fun, you know? We were having, literally, it was the best week of my life. At some point, we were throwing the lawn furniture, the, like, deck furniture, off the boat. (laughs) Tables, chairs. It was fucking awesome. We were having the best time. We really were. So we were really about getting close to, like, the landing now. And I was like, oh, uh, I have a little bit of weed left. I'm not going to be able to take it on the plane. Let's go back down to your room and fucking smoke all of this. Like, okay. That was the big Russian guy. I assume Russian. I don't know. Anyway, so we go down into their room, and we're hanging out. There's no more pumping up or any of that. We're all just now sitting because there's no reason. We're all just going to get stoned. And I say to the tall European guy, because he was the most talkative and the friendliest of all of them. So I say to him, so uh, where are you guys going now, like from Florida? What are you, what are you doing next? And he says, well, probably just going back to Detroit. <laughs> what happened to your accent? <laughs> oh, we're all faking. They're all just buddies, roommates in Detroit. We're like, let's go have fucking fun on a cruise. I kind of look like I'm European. The other guy's like, I super look Italian. And the fat guy's like, I can't do an accent. It was the weirdest and best week of my life. Thank you so much, everybody. Have a good night. That's Chris Charpentier.
The Narrator's podcast is recorded and produced by the Denver Diatribe. Check out their weekly show at denverdiatribe.com. The Narrator's podcast is brought to you by these amazing sponsors. The great guys at Illegal Pete's and Greater Than Records, who in addition to providing rad burritos all over town, provide great local music and comedy. Check out the appropriately named Sexy Pizza at either of their locations in Capitol Hill or Old South Pearl or on their website, sexypizzaonline.com. And finally, by the internet superheroes at Commerce Kitchen, who provide internet marketing solutions and search engine optimization for all your e-commerce needs. Check them out at commercekitchen.com. For more information about The Narrators and to listen to past episodes, go to thenarratorspodcast.com. Thanks for listening.